Alicia Holdaway, your 2020 board president. I'm Matt Ulrich, the incoming president of the Salt Lake Board of Realtors. Curtis Bullock, CEO for the Salt Lake Board of Realtors. Paul Smith, executive director of the Utah Apartment Association. Okie dokie. Thank you for joining us today for another board podcast. Um, today's podcast is one uh, that we've been planning for and really just discussing over the last couple of, um, well, for about a week and a half now. And we're really going to dive into the fair housing laws. Um, obviously, we are at a time in our world today where um, our country is in the middle of racial upheaval and protests are happy, happening all around the country. Um, we're, see, we're seeing people um, really stand up and speak for equality and um, really seeking equal treatment in all areas of life. So um, we've asked Paul Smith, as you heard in the introductions, uh, Paul Smith is the executive director for the Utah Apartment Association. We've asked him to join us today. Mm -hmm and really just kind of guide us through this um, conversation today as we look at a bit of history and um, where we've come or how we've come to this point. Um, and then also just kind of the practical applications of uh, fair housing laws, what it may look like um, as we're interacting with our clients and things to be really um, watchful for. Um, I personally am kind of on a self-education journey at the moment as i feel like a lot of us are and trying to remove any blind spots that i may have um, as it comes to really understanding racial inequality and looking at protected classes as a whole um, i personally am listening to a book right now called the myth of equality it's really quite interesting and one of the things that they mentioned just as I was listening this morning um, was in uh, 1924, the NER released a um, the Code of Ethics. And in the Code of Ethics, it had a practice that said, realtors should never be instrumental to introducing into a neighborhood members of any race or nationality or any individuals whose presence will clearly be determined, or excuse me, detrimental to property values in that neighborhood. And shockingly, that was, that was retained in the guidebook until 1974. So things like that, um, it's it just kind of amazing to really, once you take some blinders off and really set out to be as educated as possible so that we can be the best community members as possible, and the best realtors, professionals that we can be, um, you start understanding and putting the pieces together as to why we're here. So anyway, um, Paul, thank you for joining us today. I so appreciate your expertise and you being willing to take time out of your day. Um, you did a really great uh, panel with the UAR as well. So thanks for lending your expertise in this um, discussion. Thanks for inviting me, Alicia. So can you give us just a little bit of historical background on the Federal Fair Housing Act and how it came about? Sure. As most people know, in the 1860s, we fought a civil war partially over equality. After that war, Congress passed several amendments to the Constitution, 
and other legislation that was intended to level the playing field to create equality. But anyone uh, that knows anything about history knows it didn't really work, especially in some parts of the country where segregation became the norm. And so in the 1960s, the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King um, brought these things up and housing was one of the major issues that advocates in the 60s were focusing on. Uh, in 1964, the first part of the Civil Rights Act didn't apply to housing, but it passed Congress. The housing portion didn't pass till 1968, and it probably wouldn't have passed had not Martin Luther King been assassinated. Uh, it passed about eight days after his assassination. Um, finally, the uh, outpouring of the country and, and the mood of Congress was we couldn't wait any longer. So we, we uh, created as a country what we call protected classes, and we created legislation that said it was illegal to interfere with someone who was exercising a housing right because they belonged to a protected class. And those protected classes were race, color, uh, the law says sex, but really we interpret that and what the meaning is is gender, and then um, religion, and country of origin. So it's interesting, we look today at fair housing through a totally different prism. For instance, when most of us see country of origin, we say, oh, that is so that we don't uh, discriminate against Hispanics or something like that. It actually was because of the Irish being discriminated in major, against major cities in the United States. Interesting. See, there, <laughs> every time I have a conversation about just what's happening in our world today, I walk away with, I had more blinders than I really thought. So um, I, I think this conversation is important. Um, as you talk about those um, protected classes, if you will, um, since the Fair Housing Act was passed originally, what additional changes have been made federally? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. 1968 is a long time ago, and there were only yeah. five protected classes. In the 80s, Congress added two more. Uh, one was familial status, um, and one was disability. Um, then in addition to federal protected classes, Alicia, states are allowed to offer protected classes. And I can talk about that if you'd like as well. Yeah, Paul, that's one thing I, I understood that Utah does have some additional protected classes. What are they here in Utah? Yeah, you know, the Federal Fair Housing Act is one thing, and all states also have an additional, most states have an additional state Fair Housing Act. And the Utah Fair Housing Act reiterates all seven of the uh, original um, federal protections, and then it adds three. One is Section 8 housing. Now, the name of the, the class is actually source of income, but don't get confused by what the wording is on the class. You need to understand the definition. The definition is you're not allowed to treat someone differently because they're on a Section 8 voucher. That's mostly for rental housing. And then the last two, they actually uh, passed fairly recently within the last four or five years. Those are sexual orientation and gender identity. Basically, the state of Utah says we should not treat anyone differently based on whether or not they belong to any of the LGBTQ classes. So by the count, you have laid out 10 protected classes, and we wanted to see if you could go back through each one of those quickly uh, and define each class so we are all on the same page. Matt, I'm glad you asked because that just understanding the name of a class isn't enough. You have to understand what the definition means. Uh, so race and color 
are basically uh, interchangeable. Um, you're not allowed to treat someone differently based on the color of their skin or the race that they, they come from. Next is gender slash sex. We are not allowed to treat someone differently based on uh, their gender. So you can't say I only want boys in this apartment or girls in this apartment or we only want males in this building or females in this building. Um, also, the Supreme Court today reiterated that that protected class includes LGBTQ. And so we can't uh, treat people differently because of uh, sexual orientation or gender identity or any of those types of things. The fourth protected class is country of origin. We're not allowed to treat someone differently based on the country that they come from. So for instance, if I come from Canada and you as a real estate professional are asking for documents, um, you may not ask for any different or more or additional documents than you ask somebody that's from Idaho or Utah. So be really careful sometimes when you have people from other countries that you don't ask them to jump through more hoops because that might be country of origin discrimination. Then religion. Uh, in the 80s and 90s in Utah, we had a lot of advertising that would say things like LDS standards. Real estate professionals know that that is illegal. We are not allowed to tell people uh, what religious practices are allowed or what religions are allowed or to steer people. Um, and one of the most important things is advertising. You have to be very careful that your advertising is inclusive. So let's say you had a listing near um, a uh, mosque and you only list that on the mosque bulletin board. Well, you're excluding people of other religions from housing opportunity. And so that would be illegal. You have to be very careful that you're inclusive. And not only do we not limit uh, religion, but we, we make sure everyone uh, has equal access or opportunity to our listings. Paul, okay. can I interrupt you really quick? Sure. So I just really quick, one that I see really common um, in regards to what you're talking about is men mentioning within a listing marketing material, the proximity to a specific church's temple. How do you feel about that? Well, it's a great question. Um, whether you're uh, renting or selling property, we all want to um, highlight the best features of that property. So if it's near a, um, a landmark, it's probably okay to say that it's near a landmark. What wouldn't be okay is to give specific information about, hey, this house is in the Spirit 12th Ward, or this, uh, this neighborhood goes to the South Valley Lutheran uh, Church or something like that. So be very careful that you don't give specific directions or parameters, but I wouldn't have a problem with um, proximity to a landmark. Alicia, one of the things that I remember reading about and, and learning on this topic is, and I've just kind of tried to follow this rule as I've talked with agents over the years is, is to describe in your advertising, describe the property, not the people who might live in it. That's, that's a key difference and maybe an easy way to think about it. describe the property, not who might live in that property. That is great. I think that that's a great just kind of um, bedrock to, to keep things in mind. Um, an example that we saw maybe about a year ago um, come across to one of our, our real estate forums that was quickly called out by other realtors for its uh, um, violation of fair housing 
was specific to sellers will be moving into the same ward. Therefore, they request a letter from the buyers stating that they will be, you know, so-and-so in that ward and, and just so ex exclusive like you're talking about. Um, we have to be so careful. And many times that comes from the seller, right? And the listing agent may be thinking that they're just honoring the wishes of their seller, which we all aim to do, but remembering that we are the guide to our sellers and ensuring, and our buyers to ensuring that they they don't violate these fair housing laws. And, and it's not just the fair housing laws, it's the code of ethics. I just was reading it a little bit this morning. It's article 10 of the code of ethics that sort of mirrors the, the federal laws that Paul's been talking about. So it's almost identical. And you have to remember that just because a client asks you to do something, if you do it and it's illegal, you have liability nonetheless. You can't go back and say, my client made me do it. <laughs> right. Right. So the next two protected classes are actually a little bit harder for people to understand. Uh, the first is familial status. And so I want you to very carefully pay attention to what I say. Someone who is in the familial status protected class has someone in the household under the age of 18. So let me make sure you understood that. If I have grandma and mom and two 20-year-old daughters, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a family or a household with individuals under the age of 18, and we cannot treat them differently or have rules that exclude them or treat them differently. Um, some of the most common things that happen with families is steering. And um, let's say we're in an HOA, and um, the HOA has units near the pool and units near the playground. And it might be tempting to say to a family with people under the age of 18, you know, you'd be most comfortable, I think, in the unit over here by the playground. But if you do that, you are depriving them of housing opportunity and violating fair housing. The best practice would be um, there's a unit available by the pool and a unit available by the playground. Do you have a preference or do you want to look at both of them? So we need to be very careful that we're not excluding, excluding or steering people based on the fact that they have uh, children in their home. Uh, the last one is probably the most complicated and causes the most problems, that's disability. And the reason disability causes problems is that under federal law, we're required to do two things for someone with a disability, should they ask. One is make an accommodation, a rule change, um, something that might help them with their disability. The second is a modification to the property. Um, so a ramp, grab bars, things like that. Now those things are generally at the requester's ex um, expense. But um, the one that is most uh, difficult to understand sometimes in, in uh, real estate is the reasonable accommodation. So if we're selling in an HOA and the HOA has rules, no pets, and the buyer has an assistance animal, we need to be very careful that we don't say, oh, sorry, I can't show you this unit over here because they don't allow animals. Well, they, they have to allow animals. It's just that they don't allow pets. Okay, as far as the state protected classes, um, the first one source of income just means people on Section 8 housing, you can't refuse to rent to someone on a Section 8 voucher. That means the government pays all or part of their rent and the landlord has to, the property, uh, owner has to jump through a couple hoops, some paperwork, some inspections. And then the last two are sexual orientation and gender identification. 
Uh, I think simplifying it just is don't treat someone that's LGBTQ any differently than we would treat someone that's not. Sweet. Yeah, thank you for the background of those. Um, I know we just talked a little bit about how religion can, can um, come into practice. What are some of the most common mis, uh, misperceptions about those protected classes or classes that uh, people think are protected and actually are not? Well, that's a great question. And one thing that um, in 1988, when the Federal Fair Housing Amendments were passed and families were protected, it created a real problem in senior housing. And for about seven years, there was lots of litigation on who can and who can't deny households with children. And in 1995, uh, Congress passed HOPA, which is the Housing for Older Persons Act. And what HOPA does is it creates two types of senior communities, 62 and older, and to qualify, uh, everyone who lives in the community must be 62 years or older. Um, so that's one of the, of the uh, groups. The second is over 55 housing. And in over 55 housing, 80% of the residents must have one person in the household over the age of 55. And if you qualify for either of those two types of housing, you can deny children. You can say we, we don't allow children. This is a senior property designed for seniors. And you can't just decide that your fourplex or your apartment building is a senior property. You have to have an actual certificate from the federal government stating that you're a 62 and older or a 55 and older. So that's one of the big questions that we get is, how do, how do some communities deny children and others don't? The other thing is, um, age as a general rule is not a protected class. So we have sometimes people say, I'm looking for a buyer between the ages of 30 and 40, that's not illegal. Is it best practice? Maybe not necessarily. You should maybe allow more opportunity, but that would not be a violation of the Fair Housing Act to say, um, you know, I, I'm looking for this target or deny college students. Uh, we have many communities where there's too many college students and they don't want to have college students living there. And as long as those college students weren't in a, another protected class, you probably can say, we just don't allow college students here. So there are a lot of things that we can do with fair housing. Um, people think we're paralyzed. They think we have to treat everybody the same. And in some cases, um, there are some exceptions. So be aware of that. That's great information. So, so Paul, you told a story, I understand, in a training recently that uh, kind of put you in a in involving a client that put you in a precarious position as an agent. Tell us about that story and tell us about um, how realtors should respond when clients want them to do something that violates this law, the Fair Housing Act. I'm glad you asked. Many realtors, we're trying our best to uh, be professional. We're trying our best to, to be fair and uh, balance and treat everybody equally. And occasionally our clients ask us to do things that we know maybe are wrong and, and certainly are illegal. And so I had some clients uh, that their mother had died and I was listing their, their mother's house. And uh, they came to me and they were a little embarrassed to make this request, but they said, you know, our mother made us promise that when we sold this house, we would make sure that we didn't sell it to X type of person or X protected class. 
They said, we feel really uncomfortable asking you about this, but that was her wishes. So let's talk through this. And I said, guys, your mother was a, a great example, a wonderful person and, and really a, a neat, neat lady, but um, she came from a different generation. And as you and I know, now in our generation, we have some different laws that make honoring that request of your mother's not possible. So we appreciate her. We would try very hard to honor a legal request, but guys, you know that that's not the right thing to do. And your mom will forgive you, I promise. Uh, she'll one day realize that that request came from a different generation and she will not hold it against you. And they, they backed down and we were able to sell that property without any restrictions. So those kinds of things, Curtis, happen quite often. That's why we need to understand what we can and can't do for our clients. Sometimes our clients make requests that are weird, but in our role as a fiduciary, we have to do our best to honor it. Other times they make requests of us that we know are wrong and that we know are illegal. And in those cases, we, we could certainly withdraw from the transaction, but that's, that's not the best. The best is have a heart to heart, explain to them why you can't do that, explain to them uh, why um, our culture is just differently and that you as a professional, as a standard bearer, bearer of the realtor organization uh, are, are gonna stand for uh, good principles and, and not, not do those types of things. A lot of good information here. I was wondering what are the most common fair housing challenges you see in Utah for us real estate professionals? Uh, I'm glad you asked. The number one challenge is not saying the wrong thing. Um, we have in Utah uh, a system of testers and testers are paid by the government to call up real estate licensees and real estate professionals and to ascertain if you treat people in one protected class any differently than you treat someone in another protected class. So um, we need to be very careful that we treat everybody as if they were recording our conversation, uh, as if they were filming our conversation. And if and never say something that you wouldn't want to be on the news or that you wouldn't want to be played on the radio. So that's the number one thing is be very careful. Um, the second thing is people, whether we want to call it easily offended or not, people are emotional. And we need to be very careful that we're using common terminology. Let me tell you one that's unfortunately too common that we need to eliminate immediately from our vocabulary. When we're doing a tour, we never show someone the master bedroom. Okay, I know that we think that's called the master bedroom, but that terminology comes from a different era and it's just not sensitive and not appropriate in today's era. So immediately change all your listings to call it the bedroom suite, but never ever call something the master bedroom. Uh, even if one or 2% of your potential clients were offended by that, that's lost business. You don't want that, and you especially don't want somebody with an axe to grind to give them um, ammunition to um, come after you and say, that guy still uses old terminology from the 50s and 60s. It's inappropriate in our modern era. So I don't want to scare people, um, but I want people to really think and be careful before they talk, before they use terms, especially in advertising.
that's probably the, the number one pitfall is advertising is out there. It can be screen captured. It, um, it can be easily used against you if you say the wrong thing. Oh, I, my mind is a little bit boggled about that one. That is it's such a um, common, I mean, our MLS box to check is, you know, which level is the master bedroom on, right? So my mind's a little bit blown by that. Um, and this is exactly why I feel like we've got to be on an educational journey. Um, with open minds, it's not enough to, to believe that we're not racist or against a religion or against L LGBTQ or whatever, right? It's not enough to just say we're not against those things. Um, the, the thing that I want to implore to people is we are, there are illicit biases um, that just come subconsciously out of practices that we didn't even know came from the root of something that was based on racial inequality or whatever it may be. Um, and uh, in fact, NAR just put out um, some really great educational tools that I would encourage everybody to really use um, some time to go through, one of which being those um, kind of unconscious implicit biases that we have that we don't even realize that we have. Um, but just, I, I just so encourage everybody to kind of be willing to admit that we may have had blinders on that we didn't even recognize were there. And as we talk through things like, you know, I was having this conversation with an agent just last week who said recently, like within the last month was sitting down with one of his sellers to present an offer and the seller, um, back to kind of your example in your story, was um, over 80 years old from a different generation. And it's not to excuse the behavior, but understand where she's coming from. S mentioned um, to the listing agent, I don't like the last name of that buyer. And really was struggling to do anything with the offer because of the last name of the buyer. So these things are still happening in our world today. And um, I think fair housing is probably, frankly, um, something we haven't discussed enough. Um, it, and I think a lot of that is because we, we think that we're, you know, doing our best. We, we're doing the best with what we know today. Um, recently, um, I saw a quote from Maya, Maya Angelou, uh, Angelou. I forget how to say her name properly. Um, but it said, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Right. And that's our goal with this podcast and everything else. Um, I think we need to have a lot of grace with each other and understand that we're doing what the best that we can with what we have today, but also it can't stop there. We all have to be willing to say, I did. I didn't know better, but I'm going to attempt to, right? And gain that education. So anyway. So the only thing I would add to that, I think you're spot on, is uh, it's not the intent of our actions that matter, it's their effect. So we need to be very, very careful that let's say uh, you're very busy and uh, you have a client that comes to you and wants to go 
out and look at a bunch of houses and they're not really good at English. In fact, you're not even sure they speak English at all. And you might say, listen, guys, I um, only work with clients that speak English, okay? Your effect might be okay, but your intent is horrible. You have denied housing opportunity to someone based on their language or their country of origin or some protected class. And you didn't mean to do it that way. Uh, there's, so many, there's so many different ways that we discriminate um, unintentionally. In the um, 80s and 90s, a lot of our swimming pools, we would have adult swim hours. And our goal wasn't to treat families as second-class citizens, but that was the effect. Sec families were second-class citizens between 8 and 10 at night when you had those types of policies. So before you enact a policy, before you say something, try to think, what is the effect of this uh, saying or this policy rather than what, what are my intentions? I know I'm a good person. I don't, I'm not biased, so I can't possibly do something discriminatory. You can, and you might unconsciously if you're not very careful. Great. Very, very cool. Thanks for sharing that insight to us. Uh, what kind of trainings and resources do you have available for those who want to learn more about it? So the Apartment Association focuses on rental housing and representing and advocating and providing resources for the owners and managers of residential rentals. Uh, in the, the realtor family in Utah, about 40% of us own other investment property. And whether you're one of those that own or whether you're working with somebody that is an investor that's buying a residential rental property, you ought to look at um, the resources the Apartment Association has for you. One of which I will hold up is a great book on uh, best practices and rules for owning and managing real estate. We update this every year. It's a great publication. We also have forms, rental agreements, addendums, all of the legal notices that you need to serve if tenants are violating your contracts. And then we have regular meetings and trainings. Uh, we have just hundreds of them a year, particularly on fair housing. And um, we would love to uh, provide those resources to realtors. We have many, many members of our association that are realtors. And um, we, if you want to reach out to me, please do. I'd love to help you. I think that's great information. Thanks, Paul. I think a lot of us need to better educate ourselves to make sure we're more inclusive and, and being more open to making everybody feel included and that we're all on the same page. So good information. Thanks. You bet. Thank you. And Curtis, do you mind speaking really quick to, you know, one of the other efforts that we are looking at from a board level as we, um, kind of ask the question as to what impact can we make? Um, what is our role? What is an appropriate, um, you know, where can we actually be effective in our actions as we respond to this uh, national upheaval, if you will? Um, and one of those things is really looking at our educational schedule and the things that we are, maybe what gaps there may be. And you and your staff took super quick action in looking at what those things may be and already added some classes. Do you want to speak to that? Yeah, for sure. We've, we've put in front of our education committee this question and we said, this is a topic. We've, we've always had classes, um, but we want to do maybe more on this just in light of what's going on and just I think to what you were saying earlier Alicia we all need a little bit more education so we know exactly 
how to better represent our clients and just, just treat everybody fairly. So we're going to add several classes to our calendar over the next little while. In fact, I think I've already talked to Paul. Paul's uh, interested in teaching some of this to our members. And our website, slrealtors.com, was actually just updated as of late last night. So you can go on there, a very easy place to, to click on our education calendar and see what classes are being offered. We're slowly kind of getting back to where we can do live classes just because of COVID-19 and everything that's been happening. So just keep your eye on that calendar and you'll start to see more and more educational offerings related to fair housing and the code of ethics. The code of ethics, article 10, like I said earlier, definitely includes the same topic that we've been discussing. So we'll have more and more of this stuff in the, in the future. The other thing that I would remind us all is that fair housing is designed to promote equal housing opportunity, not equal outcomes. Um, not everyone can afford your listing. Uh, not every listing uh, is appropriate for everyone, but it is inappropriate to ever prejudge or deny someone the opportunity to find out for their self if that uh, property or opportunity works for them. So it, that, that could be our goal, is to make sure that we offer equal housing opportunity and we never deny people access to uh, housing opportunity. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I'll be a little bit vulnerable here and call myself out. When this started um, a couple weeks ago, I thought, where might I be falling short just in my like best practices with my clients? And frankly, as I would go through the listing uh, uh, agreement, the exclusive right to sell agreement, I would kind of gloss over um, that paragraph about equal housing opportunity because I just personally have never had that interaction that felt inappropriate. And so um, making a bigger deal out of that and just being thorough in explaining what that means um, to my clients is a, is a change that I will make moving forward, so. And I'll add that, this is Matt Ulrich, by the way, I'll add that I'm very grateful to be part of a board, a board that cares about being inclusive and that is wanting to make sure it's fair and equal to all. And I, I think you're doing a great job, Alicia, as the president, and Curtis as well, to make sure that everybody's aware of the fair housing and making sure that our agents are educated and trying to make sure that they're being compliant. So I think we do a good job, and these podcasts are going out to help our agents out there to make sure that they're being in line with what's needing to be done to be fair and equal to all. So thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thanks everybody. We appreciate the discussion and I would encourage our members that are listening. Also, um, if you have questions that come up in terms of, you know, I was approached by a, a client with X, Y, Z, um, obviously always, always go to your broker, um, and seek that direction and help. Um, there's always the legal hotline for help as well. And then in addition to that, um, if you have questions about, I mean, this is the hot topic today, right? Um, it hopefully is not just a hot topic for a moment. I saw something the other day that said this needs to be a movement, not a moment. And I agree with that. But um, if whether it's this or any other issue that arises, I just would so encourage, we're here 
Um, I'm a practicing realtor, just like all of you. Matt's a practicing realtor out on the grind every day. Curtis and his staff are at the office, um, back to the office now, <laughs> um, and here with the intention of serving our members. And we answer our phones and our emails. So I just would encourage you that if you have a question, um, A, please start with the assumption, um, let's assume the best in everybody rather than assuming the worst. And B, um, let's start conversations um, and, and get more details. Sometimes there's a lot of things that are happening in the background from a board perspective that obviously we can't, we can't ex explain every single thing that we're doing every single day. So there's a lot of misunderstanding um, or just lack of, under or lack of knowledge as to what's being done. So if you have a question or a concern or a complaint, I would just suggest you make a phone call or send us an email and we'll absolutely address that. Usually we can explain what's happening on the background to address that concern. So. And don't forget we have the Salt Lake Board Facebook page for our Realtors as a resource where we can have great dialogue there and make sure that we're supporting and informing everybody. Yeah, great point. Okay, thanks everybody.